The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. We're here at the virtual Sundance Film Festival with uh, John McLeod. Thank you so much. He's got a, a new film premiering at the Sundance Film Festival called My Old School. Congratulations. Thanks, Ben. It's uh, great to sort of be here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so it's so sad. I mean, on the one hand, uh, you don't get to have the whole Sundance experience. On the other hand, you don't get to catch the flu that everyone gets at Sundance every year. So Yeah. Do you know the weird thing is my dog got really sick over the past few days, and I'm super obsessed with this dog. So I'm actually okay. kind of relieved that I wasn't at Sundance because I, oh. <laughs> I would have been in some state. But he's I, better now. So he, he got the Sundance, Sundance flu for me. <laughs> The, the canine dot Sundance flu. Oh my God. Well, yeah. I mean, I love Sundance, but I hate being cold. It's a real, it's a real dance. So anyway. I bought snow boots. You did? Yeah, man. What am I going to do with them? Next film. Get, you just got to turn your next film out. Uh, you know, hope, I hope you have another story like this up your sleeve. So congratulations. I love documentary. We've had a lot of uh, great documentarians on the show. First off, can you just give me the, the basic pitch of your film? Just so people kind of get a sense of what it is. Okay, so we are very much under the stranger than fiction category. For sure. Um, in 1993, uh, spoiler alert, I'm in the film. It's uh, set in yeah. my class, high school class. I didn't know that was um, you until the end. <laughs> um, in 1993, uh, a new kid joined my high school class. It was our junior year, as you guys say. And he came from Canada. He was a bit of a geek and he looked a bit strange. And over the course of the next two years, he managed to work his way up this kind of high school ladder of, so, of sort of social life and become really popular. And, you know, ace his exams, go off to medical school. And at the end of those two years, we all found out the reason why he was so good at high school. And uh, yeah, that's what the film was about, really. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not going to spoil any more than you spoil. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take your lead on, on what his uh, mysterious secret is. So we're here to talk about cinematography and most of the cinematography in your film, although there's, there's a good bit of footage of people going about their lives, but a lot of it is interview footage and standing in for Brandon Lee is Alan Cumming the amazing actor Alan Cumming, where you recorded the actual Brandon Lee's voice and Alan Cumming is perfectly, I mean, like so perfectly lip syncing everything that this guy says and putting all the acting and intention and all that. How did you come up with that very innovative idea to have the voice of a character of someone who doesn't want to show their face? So I, it's not a new thing in that I was very aware of Cleo Barnard's uh, The Arbor, which was a really successful version of, of that kind of lip syncing, albeit with multiple actors doing it. And, and, and I knew that what I was facing was a situation where I was hanging the, an entire film on one actress performance. You know, the real Brandon's stipulation was he would grant me an interview on the proviso that he did not have to appear on screen. Crazy. So if I could come up with some way to make a film where he didn't have to be seen, then I was welcome to do it. So I knew that I wanted to go down that lip sync route because I, I, I wanted it to be his, his real voice that we hear. Mm -hmm. And eventually came to the part of the film as, as part animated when we flash back. But I also knew that because he's so eloquent and so intelligent and, and so his interview is just this amazing interview that he, he gave me. 
I knew that I didn't want a cartoon to sit there and just, um, you know, certainly not the kind of cartoon I can yeah. afford to show. Uh, <laughs> so I knew that I needed an actor to really get that across. Now I needed an actor who could really pull a performance like that out of the bag. And the, really the strange thing about this film is for a lot of, you know, um, the, the film is about someone going back in time in their life and making the film was a process of me going back in time and connecting with my high school class. But for Alan himself, it was it was a case of going back in time because back in the mid to late nineties, there was going to be a narrative feature film made about this story in which Alan oh. was slated to play Brandon and direct the movie. And the movie fell apart and was never really made. And suspiciously, Drew Barrymore's never been kissed appeared shortly afterwards. And we always mm. everyone everyone around town was like that. Oh my god. Drew Barrymore stole our movie. Uh, but it's not. It's obviously <laughs> Drew plays the Brandon role and goes back to school. But um yeah, so I, I knew that I needed an amazing actor to do it. And as luck would have it, I'm friends with Alan Cumming. Oh, nice. Um, but it was that kind of embarrassing. It, it's nice, but it's not nice because it's nice you've got the access. It's not nice because it's in, it's hugely embarrassing to ask your friend to do something that's meaningful to you that you, you're worried that they're going to not want to do, but feel a bit awkward and do they have to? So um, I only just found out today through doing a, another interview with Alan, I did say to him, look, did you do this film because it was embarrassing and I made you do it or because you actually wanted to? And for him, it was a full circle moment of coming back to a role that had gone away from him 25 years ago because, you know, I needed a 50 something actor mm-hmm. to portray the present day Brandon. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a really just the performance he gives is is not something you see very often. Well, and it, it's a masterful performance. And the thing is, an actor has their gesture, they have their face and they have their voice. And in this, you have somebody else's voice coming out of Alan Cumming, which is to me, I was wondering, like, what was exciting about doing that for him when his voice is so much a part of what makes him him on screen? I mean, Alan just loves a challenge. He's up for anything. So mm-hmm. um, that was the beauty of it that I knew he um, and kind of when I floated the idea with him, I mean, and part of me really struggled as well with the idea of asking him to do it because I've got easily one of Scotland's greatest actors in yeah. my movie and I'm, I'm going to take his voice off him. Now, I knew that I wanted him to ultimately to play it to and he provides the voice and the singing voice of the younger Brandon in the animated scene. So you do mm-hmm. hear Alan in the film, but um, to have him perform on screen and take his voice away from it kind of it felt like it, it was kind of scandalous almost. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he was able to do it and pull it off, it was the trippiest thing to watch him do and for us all to film. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a reverse ADR basically. Yeah. So I, I, we'd set it up with beeps, and divided them all into individual little chunks of audio dialogue performance. And he sat there for a day and a half and reverse ADR'd an entire film. It was, oh. it was kind of incredible. Had you already edited out all of the narration you wanted him to do before you brought it, Alan coming in to do it? Yeah, I'd kind of cut the film before yeah. that point. So um, yeah, I knew exactly what I needed. And yeah, we kind of, we structured it so that it went through, we did it fairly linear and we filmed everything. Every bit of dialogue you hear in the film, we filmed. You might not necessarily see it in the film, but we filmed a version of it with Alan. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it was just a, a process of between my editor, Bernie McGurk, who, um, you know, I ultimately did that, that kind of lip sync with stuff. But for the most part, you know, we, we've been making this film for such a long time. And uh, I took on some of the editing myself just to kind of keep the wheels on the bus. And so that initial kind of trying yep. to make the lip sync work was edited by me and then finessed by Bernie. I mean, it was, if it was trippy in the room <laughs> as the beeps went on and Alan did it, it was even stranger to um, 
to, to sit for months and months <laughs> on end, just finessing and just making sure everything was just absolutely right. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for me, obviously, to kind of pass judgment on it because I'm so close to it. But from what I'm hearing, people are kind of responding to it that way. And actually Lulu, the Scottish pop star Lulu, who's also in the movie and sings our title song. Um, I showed her a clip when we, and when the day we recorded the title song, actually, in the studio. I had a clip of Alan to show her and I played it for her and she was like, wow, uh, did, did Alan have a cold that day? And I was like, no, Lulu, that's, that's not his voice. She's like, what? Uh, so he obviously pulled off. If he pulled the wool over Lulu's eyes. That's amazing. I loved uh, just like he found the subtlety in all of the just the little enunciations of Brandon Lee's interviews and filled them with a very believable performance. It was something amazing. Now, let's talk a little bit about how you filmed the interviews, because most of the filmed parts of the movie are are the interviews. And you opted with the exception of, I think, one person to do the straight down the barrel looking into the camera thing. I, as I recall, there was somebody towards the end who was like looking off axis and they might have just been looking off into the distance while they were talking to you and that was the part you chose? I think that may be, I think what you may be thinking of is for, there was one person who, and we never filmed in a classroom setting. So the, the, the premise is I kind of rebuilt my my high school classes. Oh, wow. Um, we got all the old school desks. I mean, they kind of, I think people watch the movie and are like, did you live in Victorian times? But our school was really old. <laughs> you know, we had the old lift up desks, the inkwells and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. So um, we rebuilt, we re kind of reconstructed that in an actual old school. And then one of the interviewees we interviewed on a kind of stage, she was the kind of star yeah. of the school show. So we interviewed her in the auditorium. But no, I'm, I am aware that, you know, everybody does the uh, Interatron down the lens interviews these days. But actually, and I knew I wanted to do that, but I guess I didn't really formulate in my head exactly why I wanted to do it. But the way it's turned out, is I think I hopefully have kind of made the audience a, a member of class 5C in itself because obviously everybody's talking to me, their classmate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's kind of, we've really, we've taken that intimacy that the Interatron um, or the eyesight uh, can, can give you and taken it to another level, you know, when it's friends talking to each other uh, through that kind of medium. And then it's in, my, in turn, when I then had to step in front of the camera, I, I had one of my my friends who is a podcast host who's used to interviewing people oh, uh, and is, is, is in the film. We just switched places and he sat. I was going to ask, questions. I was going to ask you like who interviewed you. And I think that's why I was thrown when I realized it was you kind of towards the end, because it's like, yeah, you, you know, I imagine the, the documentary filmmaker behind the camera asking the questions, but when they go in front of the camera, it's a different thing. Yeah. So you see at the end of the film, you see Gregor hosting his podcast. So that's the guy yeah. who, uh, who interviews me. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So when you say Interatron, did you guys use an actual Interatron? Did you use an iDirect? Like, what did you use? For it was the... yeah, it was it was iDirect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm using. I'm just calling it with Errol's kind of uh, invention and calling it the Interatron. But um, yeah, it was it was yeah. an iDirect, and it was you know putting a little curtain up to try and hide me. And then I mean, it's just it's a big ask of all my classmates basically to walk into this. I mean, firstly, it was really weird to walk into an old school and walk into our old classroom. Yeah. And then it was just the, the my, in fact, my favorite moment from the whole, the whole thing was I was interviewing my friend Adnan, who's uh, one of the interviewees in the film. And, um, we finished the interview and at one point, you know, we're, we're 42 years old or something when this has been, we're filming this. And, you know, the, one of the runners came in and was like, uh, Jonathan, uh, Mr. Gunn is downstairs and he wants to see you in the office. <laughs> Me and Adnan had two 42 year olds shuffling down the school corridor <laughs> off to be called to Mr. Gunn in physics office. And uh, we were just giggling like it was like no time had passed at all. And uh, yeah, that's the kind of fun that I wanted to kind of capture in the film. And the down the lens, the, the, the eye direct stuff really, really did that. 
So, I mean, like, obviously there a lot of love went into this, a lot of uh, your personal past and your own story. It, it might be the craziest story that ever happened in your immediate proximity. What was it that drew you to make a film about this? Because I have to say, here in America, I never heard the story until I watched your documentary. And it looks like it was kind of big news where you were. It was big news in Scotland, but for some reason, it never really picked up in England and the rest of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were—I uh, was talking about this with Alan actually earlier—and we think it's—we <laughs> think, I mean, it's pre-internet, so it's harder yeah. for for stories to get out there and kind of stay out there and stuff. But I think also a big part of it is it's quite an embarrassing story for yeah. uh, certainly for the town and the school in the town and for Scotland to some extent as well. You know, we like to think that we're these canny Scots that <laughs> um, could, could spot an imposter anywhere and we fell for it. And I was, I was talking about, there's a story in, in Ireland that's just come out this week that I'm obsessed with and it's um, to go off topic slightly, mm, but um, it's in a post office in rural Ireland a guy rocked up to the post office to collect a welfare check for his um, uncle, mm-hmm. and the and the guys in the post office said, "We can't give you it unless you unless he comes." Him and his friend rocked back with the dead corpse of his uncle on their shoulders. What? Weekend weekend at Bernie's style. Oh my god! Get him up to the counter. He collapses as a corpse on no. the ground. They run off. And the post officer left with his dead body. And I mean, just, and so, and what what made, reminded me of this is that I can see in all the comments on the Irish news websites, like the locals and the people in Ireland going, oh my God, I hope this story doesn't leave the country. And then somebody's like, the BBC have got it. Oh no. <laughs> so, stories like this are, are a kind of mass embarrassment for us. Yeah. Well, how stupid we were that we fell, we fell for that or that this crazy thing has happened <laughs> in, in our town. And so I think a big part of it is that maybe we managed to keep a successful lid on how <laughs> this stupid thing that happened to us. It's funny because I'm from Florida. So like, you know, I'm already, Man, you guys are the king of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no keeping a lid on, on the statewide embarrassments that come out of there. So when did you first have the idea uh, to make this movie and what was the process of kind of putting it together? You know, documentaries are notoriously hard to put together. It's hard to find financing, hard to find everything for documentaries. Yeah, access is key, I guess. And I guess that was my connection to Brandon that kind of got me the chance to speak with him, albeit Mm -hmm. audio only. And once that was in place, then it was just, it was down to me to try and make this jigsaw puzzle work as to how I can, how on earth can I stand a, a feature a film up on that and I you know my background is in television documentary and so I would always go to things like the Sheffield Documentary Festival and really be aware of this division between the TV guys and the film guys and look over at them and go oh my god I wish I had a, mm-hmm. a feature film and my producer, <laughs> my producer Olivia Lichtenstein who I, I've worked with on and off for about 15 years or so uh, had always told me you know the brand and story is your story John oh that's that's what you should be telling so when I got access to Brandon and we did the interview, we hung out for a bit beforehand and we did the interview. Once I had that interview in one site, I knew that I wanted to to tell the story. I knew also that I didn't want to interview experts or journalists or people who mm-hmm. wanted to kind of cast their own view on what they thought happened back then. Because as far as I was concerned, I only wanted to tell the story from the perspective of those of us who were there. And half of them get it all wrong anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the part of the film is telling the wrong story before we tell the, you know, as, as close to the truth as we can. Yeah, it was just it was just a really long process, man. And COVID didn't help. You know that uh, that suddenly yeah. arrived and and oh, actually, but you know, in a way, it actually, in a massive way, changed my film. You know, I wouldn't have a film at Sundance if the pandemic hadn't happened. 
it, it made me stop. That lockdown happened. We had to kind of sit back and reassess things. I was about to barrel into shoot with Alan just as the first lockdown came about. That got cancelled and I had to go back to the drawing board. Um, you know, when I, we first were talking about doing the flashback scenes, you know, I had in my head, hey, this is my debut movie. Everyone's going to love this. I'm going to shoot live action period reconstruction. I was going to ask, that was my next question, was was about the, the choice to go with animation. Yeah, no, I was also aware, you know, I, I, I see the film as a high school movie. You know, it is a high school movie. It's the classic, a stranger arrives in, in high school and everyone's lives will never be the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I was aware that it was a tr- it was a kind of trope almost of high school movie. So I wanted to reference that, and I thought I would do that. And then someone explained what that would mean budget wise. And then when COVID arrived, and it was clear that nobody was going to be standing in the classroom next to each other very easily or without you know all those regulations that yeah, COVID, it suddenly became clear that I had to rethink. So we tried a different tact. We did a thing where we shot on green screen actors and rotoscoped over the top of them, you know, and drew in sets and then kind of did that sort of classic aha take on me video. Oh, um, cool. Where we, where we rotoscoped the actors and we just couldn't get it to land. You know, we had a young, we had a young Alan coming, a, a, an actor I found who was a kind of identical to younger Alan. And he was great. He's a fantastic actor. We filmed him. We filmed him. We did that kind of, um, we did this, the, the scene where Brandon first arrives for his interview at the school and we filmed that and it just, we couldn't get it to land. There's something just that was off-putting about it. It was kind of falling into that sort of uncanny valley mm. sort of thing that you can get into with, with, with certain things, especially when we're fl- flitting back and forth from live action interviews to that. So I kind of knew that I, I was hitting a brick wall. People were not responding to that. And um, I had to stop and think again. And it was, I, I only realized the other day, actually, it wasn't that long. It was only a year ago that One Division premiered on Disney+. Plus. And I was watching it and was just totally blown away by how perfectly they style the different eras of American TV sitcom from episode to episode. And I was like, wow, is there a way that we can do that in this film? And is there a way we can do it within budget in animation? And if so, what are those animations that I would be referencing? And then, of course, my lead character has big brown curly hair and glasses and it's in a high school in the 1990s. So you can't get away from Daria. She's an icon. Um, yeah. So that was a kind of touchstone. And we looked at other kind of animations from around the time and the shapes and stuff of Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill and stuff. And then, of course, we dial back to the 1970s and I was looking at the Archie show and stuff and oh, wow. Anna Barbera and things. And yeah, Wild Child Animation or the animation company, a Scottish-based animation company who uh, we worked with and you know it was a it was a kind of crazy process because you know the animators are in japan they're in south africa yeah the core team are in are in scotland but everything's kind of like farmed out and remote as we go through that as we've gone through the past two years so yeah like I, i've actually done some editing for animation and uh y- you would have the the artist there like drawing the keyframe or the storyboard and then once you had that finalized that's what you're talking about you'd send it away to a company wherever in the world and they do the animation yeah i kind of already had it storyboarded no matter what like whether we did the green screen version or what i had storyboard versions in there but then we had to kind of adjust those and work on the animations as we went it was it was a real learning process and um you know pushing back to the animators who for some reason made me really fat um, my little character i was like what the hell is that hanging over the side of my trousers it was my muffin top i was like Wait. 
what did I do to you? I was clearly, I was a bit of a taskmaster, you know, I was, there was a lot of back and forth that people's eyebrows were the wrong shape and things. And I think they got a bit sick of me and they were like, let's put a whole bunch of weight on that guy. But uh, yeah, so, um, no, but it was, it was a really, it was a really, it was a fun process when, you know, when we got there, but it was really challenging for everyone and, and, and really hard for them as well. Cause they're dealing with, they're dealing with a director who's so close to the story and is actually concerned about not just my muffin top, but you know, so and so's <laughs> hair is the wrong color and stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we weren't too, we weren't too strict on it. That's not really what our school ties looked like. We didn't have American style lockers in our school, but I knew yeah. I had to kind of, I had to fit the vibe of what the animations looked like at the time. So I, we took some liberties. That's really cool. And it, and it's interesting because the presence of the animation, like I, again, I walked in, I, I try to know as little as possible about a movie like this before I, I watch it. Cause I want to be surprised. And so how do you as, get people to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like that's what, that's the way I want people. That's the way I want to watch most films, but how do you ever, get people to do that? And, everything gets spoiled. I mean, that's just the the nature of it. You're going to have a trailer that's going to be out. People are going to watch the trailer before they decide to watch the movie. There's kind of no way around it. The beauty of going to a film festival is you can just walk in completely blank and be like, yeah, this is, you know, this looks interesting. I don't know. I have no idea what it's about. Alan Cummings in it. That's all I knew when I started was Alan Cumming was in it. But the thing is like, it had a vibe of almost a true crimey kind of a thing a little bit. Maybe it was the Interotron Errol Morris style interviews. Like I knew something was coming up, but the animation let me know like there's not going to be a series of murders in this like it's it's not going to it's not that kind of film and so it kind of allowed me to lower my defenses as a viewer and be charmed by the personalities and get more into the actual characters which i feel like at the end of the day it's it's such an interesting character piece not just of brandon lee but of everyone around him and how everyone responded to what was going on so congratulations thank you so much that's what i wanted for the film was to have a lightness to it do you know what i mean it's not uh I do suspect that some people might go into this film expecting a big scandalous kind of, you know, bills and reveals yeah. and stuff like that. But um, we're a softer film than that. We are a high school movie. That's what yeah. we are. I think that's a brilliant take, especially in a time and a place when we're just awash with true crime that's, you know, dark and sinister and whatever. It's, it's interesting to see something that's more just kind of a stranger than fiction, like you said, a stranger than fiction kind of story. Well, uh, congratulations. I look forward to uh, seeing how you get distribution and, and where you go from here. I, I'd be interested to see a narrative feature about this. Thank you so much, Ben. Really great to chat with you. Great to talk to you as well. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.